Well, this is, um, I really believe that this weekend is the highlights of the entire year for our church. Uh, we normally don't do four different gatherings on Easter weekend, but um, for us, it's a, it's a weekend of great celebration, a great lament, and really seeing how the resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed people's lives. We saw that on Good Friday when we gathered today, uh, here in this spot, and we confessed our sins and asked the Lord for forgiveness and cleansing of them. We saw that as we received communion here on Good Friday, on Friday night. We saw this last night as we heard from 13, 14 people who gave creative testimonies on our second day event as they talked about the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that they have experienced in the Christian faith and how God has worked redemptively through that. And that was just a really awesome, blessed uh, night. We're seeing that this morning as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to see that tangibly this afternoon as we go to the beach. And at 2 o'clock at Belmont Shore, five people uh, who have made recent professions of faith for the very first time are going to declare their faith publicly in Christian baptism. And so um, it's just a great, great weekend and all that God is doing in the lives of, um, of our church. And it's truly fantastic. Uh, let's pray together. And um, we'll commit this time to the Lord. Fathers, we have gathered here on this sunny morning. It's so appropriate that we meet outside because um, you burst from the inside of the tomb to the outside into the world to declare that there is life beyond the grave, that you and you alone are the one through whom every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, that you are Lord. And so as we have gathered today, this morning, may we be renewed in our faith in a resurrected Jesus Christ. May we be reminded that there is a world that is still living in the tomb. And they don't have to. They can find a new resurrection, not just through the world, not primarily through the world, but primarily through Christ. And so would you remind us of that, strengthen us of that through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. This morning we're going to be talking about tombs and resurrections. Tombs and resurrections. And a lot of times when you come to church and you hear an Easter message, I think in the past uh, when we would really consider uh, being here in the West as a, as a place of Christendom, a place where people in mass believed in the Bible, where there was a sense that Christianity was the cultural home of many people here in the West. And now as we've moved sort of into a post-Christian culture, we see a lot of differences in our world. See, in the past, in Christendom, when you come to church and you would hear an Easter message, uh, you, the message might go something like this. I am going to share with you the evidences for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how he rose from the dead, appeared to over 500 people at one time, 1 Corinthians 15, and how he stuck, stuck around for 40 days and appeared to his disciples before he ascended back to heaven, how all these men died for what they knew to be the truth. Oh, there's all these evidences of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And so therefore, as I give you that evidence, you must now believe. We might bring up someone with a testimony to share about how Jesus' resurrection has changed their life. And the evidence 
for the resurrection and the testimonies of changed lives through the resurrection are absolutely essential to the Christian faith. And I think that oftentimes we come to church and we hear that message. And many of you have, some of you have grown up in church. Maybe some of you have heard a message, uh, Norm referred to it uh, earlier on, where we talk about how the Easter Bunny has taken over Easter Sunday and how most people celebrate uh, Easter Sunday without the resurrected Jesus. And that's an important message as well. But I think as I thought about it and where our world is at today, I thought about the theme of tombs and I thought about the theme of resurrections. And as I thought more about that, I came to to this realization. Many people today realize that they live in some kind of tomb. The tomb of the evil of their own heart. The tomb of the world's evil trying to get you to conform to its pattern of fallen thinking. The tomb that uh, we're all facing in our natural state of eternal death and damnation and hell. Many people recognize today that they are living in some kind of spiritual tomb. But they don't want Jesus to help them to escape that tomb. They're looking for resurrections from that tomb. But it's not necessarily a resurrection through Jesus Christ. Many people are placing their trust in false resurrections. They misunderstand what it means to have the resurrection of Jesus Christ in their lives. Many people, I think, walk around and they believe intellectually in the resurrection but they feel like their physical life here in this world is still in the tomb. And so the title of this message this morning is, Why Don't We Believe in Jesus Christ? Why don't we believe in Jesus Christ? And I think there's primarily two reasons. I think the first reason is because we hold on to the darkness of our tombs. And the second is, Somewhere in many of our minds, there is this false resurrection narrative going on. And so rather than simply present evidence for the resurrection or talk about testimonies from last night of how Jesus' resurrection has changed our lives, I actually want to take the opposite angle and talk about why don't people in a post-Christian world, in an anti-Christian world, believe in Jesus. And I think it has to do with tombs, and resurrections, darkness of tombs and false resurrections. We're just going to look at two verses here this morning. From Matthew chapter 27, verse 52 and 53. Matthew chapter 27, verse 52 and 53 talks about tombs and it talks about resurrections. Verse 52 of Matthew 27 says, the tombs, this is the tombs of people. This is at uh, the resurrection of Jesus. The tombs were also opened. This is the tombs of others, not Jesus. And many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Verse 53. And coming out of the tombs, 
after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, that's the city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many. See, a lot of times we forget that it wasn't just Jesus who rose from the dead. He rose from the dead first. But according to Matthew chapter 27, verse 52 and 53, after Jesus rose from the dead, there were many other saints whose bodies were resurrected and they started appearing to people in the holy city of Jerusalem. So it's not just Jesus who rose from the dead. There were many other saints who also rose from the dead after him. And so I want to talk about Jesus being in the tomb. And I want to talk about these saints being in the tomb. And I want to talk about us in our natural state being in the tomb. Because I think only when we understand the nature of the tomb do we understand the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' body had been in the tomb. What were the surrounding circumstances for that? To summarize in the Gospels, when Jesus' body was in the tomb, the 24 hours prior to him being in the tomb, the following events had happened. Jesus had cried tears of anguish, sweated blood in anxiety at anticipating the agony, the physical and the spiritual agony of going to the cross. Jesus had been betrayed by Judas. He had been betrayed by the disciples who fled from him at his arrest. Peter, one of the closest friends of Jesus, denied him three times. Jesus was convicted on a false charge of blasphemy. He was humiliated, stripped nude, beaten, nailed to a cross. And on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was on the cross that the Bible says the wrath of God, the judgment of God came down upon Jesus as the human divine sacrificial lamb to die in our place. Philippians chapter 2 says that as he went to the cross, he was obedient unto the Father unto death. Death did not put Jesus on the cross. The Father put Jesus on the cross and Jesus obeyed. And he obeyed to the point of death, Philippians 2. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus went to the cross and for the, because of the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, first to obey God, second to free us. And in verse 51, the verse before verse 52 and 53 this morning, it says that when Jesus died, the veil of the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place and from the outer court, the holy of holy veil was torn. It says that there was an earthquake. The rocks split. This was a cataclysmic event when Jesus went to the cross. When you look throughout scriptures from Exodus to Revelation, whenever there was an earthquake, it signified that God was present. God was angry. God was judging the event that was happening. God was showing his power in that moment. And in Matthew chapter 27, the day after Passover, the day after Jesus went to the cross, or actually that night, rather, Joseph of Arimathea, it says on Friday night after Jesus had died, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus 
He was granted the body of Jesus, and he was put in a tomb that Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, had purchased, and the tomb was sealed. The next day on Saturday, the day between the crucifixion Friday and the resurrection Sunday, the next day on Saturday, it was then that the Roman guards were ordered to guard the tomb. This is what happened when Jesus was placed in the tomb. Now we know from Luke 23 that when Jesus was on the cross and he had two thieves, to, one to either side of him, that one thief turned to Jesus and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Lord. And Jesus said to him, I tell you that this very day, you, because of your profession of faith in me, will be with me in paradise. And so we know, follow this, the contradiction, the seeming contradiction, that when Jesus turned to the thief on the cross and he died, and that thief on the cross died, Jesus' spirit went immediately into the presence of the Father. That's why he said to the thief on the cross, this very day you will be with me in paradise. And that thief's spirit went to the presence of the Lord based upon his professional faith. But their bodies stayed here. Their spirits went to be with the Lord, but their physical bodies were here. And I wonder how many of us this morning sort of feel that way. We feel like I'm a professing believer and I know that my citizenship is in heaven. I know that my spirit is with the Lord in a different dimension and I will be with the Lord forever and my spirit is taken care of. But man, my body, my physical life, here on this planet, it feels like it's still in the tomb. And I think that for many of us as Christians, we live in this kind of disconnected reality where we believe the right things about the Lord and we believe in where we're going in eternity. But our physical experience here in this world, even as believers, can sometimes feel like it's still trapped in the tomb where the unbeliever's soul and body are. And I I think it's really significant in this passage because in verse 52, it says that there were tombs of people and there were many bodies, not all, but many bodies, verse 52, of the saints who had fallen asleep And they were raised, verse 52. So what is happening here in verse 52? We learn from 50, um, that after Jesus had risen from the dead, verse 53, after Jesus had been resurrected, it says in verse 52, the bodies of the saints. Who are these saints? These are the, by and large, the Old Testament saints. These are the people who died before Jesus came, for the most part. And it says they had fallen asleep. In verse 52, that means whenever you see falling asleep, it doesn't mean that they're just in some kind of dreamy sleep-like state. Falling asleep is really language for they were dead. And so what's happening is that after Jesus rose from the dead, there were all of these graves of largely Old Testament saints that could have been there hundreds, perhaps over a thousand or so years. And it says that many, not all, were raised from the dead. Many, not just their spirits, but verse 52, their many bodies of the saints. 
So these guys were walking around. And verse 53, they're showing themselves in the holy city. It wasn't just Jesus. And so what's happening is that as you, as you think back to these saints, you might have gone back to, if you were just to go back to the Exodus, right? And certainly this includes before that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and those guys, all those guys, right? But even if you just go back to the Exodus and go forward to the end of the Old Testament, that's like from 1,000 years. That's 1,000 years. That's like from the 15th century BC to the 400 to 400 BC. That's like a thousand years of saints, just from Moses to the end of the Old Testament. And these saints that were raised, you know, they would have known throughout their lifetimes what put them in the tomb, right? I mean, if you think about the history of God's people from the Exodus all the way to the end of the Old Testament, they saw the evil of idolatry all through the judges and the kings all of those times through the prophets, they saw the evil of idolatry. They saw rebellion towards God. They saw defeat, war. They saw disease. They saw famine. All of these things would have put them in the tomb. It's not unlike today, is it? We have war. We have famine. We have disease. We have idolatry. We have rebellion against God. Many of those put people in the tomb. And yet, for these saints... It was because they had placed their faith in the grace of God. According to Hebrews 11, they had placed their trust in God to save them. They didn't know who the Savior was going to be, Jesus Christ, at the time. But they placed their faith in God that he would save them. He would ultimately forgive them and and give them eternal life. And that's why they were saved, according to the book of Hebrews. These saints were raised from the tomb. Jesus' body was in the tomb. And I wonder how many of us want our bodies, our physical bodies, our life here in this world to escape the tomb that the world has put you in. Do you know that the world has put you in a tomb, in our natural state? Now, believers have escaped that tomb, but most people that you meet, your family, your coworkers, your, your schoolmates, people you pass in the street, they are living in the tomb of the world. And if we're honest, most people do not want to escape that tomb of the world, do they? See, I, I think the resurrection of Jesus Christ only takes significance when you come to the realization the world has put you in a tomb And you want to turn to Jesus to help you to escape that tomb. But what is the tomb that the world has put us in? What is the tomb that, that we witness in our world around us? The Bible talks about how the world is a destructive, it's a shameful force on humanity. You want to know what the tomb is? You want to know what type of of actions that the, the tomb brings out of the human spirit? You go watch the Academy Awards. You go watch a comic up there and someone getting out of their seat to slap them shamefully, making worldwide news. That is what the tomb does to the human spirit. You want to know what the tomb does to the human spirit? 
You go watch ESPN and you go watch someone who was born a physical man who is now breaking all the women's NCAA swimming records out there simply because he, as a man, a collegiate swimmer, chooses to identify himself as a woman and he gets to swim in women's sports and break all the women's. That is the tomb, how it twists the human mind. You want to know what the tomb looks like? You know, I was talking with Holland and Sebastian a couple weeks ago when we went out to dinner and they were talking about how, you know, some of the people that they go to school with and what they believe and their level of darkness and, and, and just it couldn't be further away from Christ and how they're learning all of these skills that can be used for good or evil in the world. And many of the people that they are around are going to use that not just for good or neutral purposes. They'll probably use them for evil purposes as well. The tomb is a place where even in their world, the skills that they're learning, using it in the virtual world, the augmented reality world, this metaverse conversation, the more I've studied that conversation, the more I realize it not only represents some interesting new way to look at the world in terms of a di- through digital eyes, but it also represents a different kind of tomb in the virtual world, a tomb where we are exploited financially, a tomb where pornography has an entirely different, different definition, a tomb where it will be a breeding ground for Eastern mysticism. That's a tomb. The tomb is powerful in our world. But it's also powerful in the church, isn't it? I don't see how you can look at what's been happening in Christendom over, you know, I mean, just take the past 10 or 20 years. I mean, just take the past couple years. And you see how the tomb has kind of this hand, like a dead zombie has risen out of the ground of the grave to to grab people and draw them back down into the grave. You see Christian leaders fall. You see Christians like stars from the sky and just burn out. You see them act in shameful ways. People who've been entrusted with leaving tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in some way or another. And they bring shame to the kingdom and the Lord. Why? Because the tomb is powerful, even for the Christian, to pull you back down into it. And people fall. In Christendom, because of women, because of money, because of pride and greed. How many of us have seen the tomb in full effect in places that are supposed to represent the church? We see the tomb in our world in terrifying ways. We see that in the war, in the genocide that's happening. We see that in opiate addiction. We see ultimately the tomb. And this is the most important tomb that people are trapped in. It's the tomb of God's judgment and hell. That's why Jesus went to the cross, right? We see the tomb where so many, the majority, most, are headed for a destiny in hell, in a place of darkness. Hell is described as a prison. I got caught in that elevator a few months ago, and then that box with like 13 other people. And we were running out of air. It was hot. I was like, it's a terrible claustrophobic experience. I can tell you that. Can you imagine the type of tomb that is awaiting in hell? 
for people in disbelief, never escaping that box. And as hot as it got for us, it's going to get a lot hotter. The Bible says that what the tomb represents in this world is the following. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, that those who trust in their own righteousness, they're like unmarked graves called the Pharisees. Paul said in Romans chapter 3 that people outside of God have a throat that is like an open grave. Venom. They have venom like asps under their tongue. They have feet that is swift to shed blood. In their path is ruin and misery. This is what the spiritual tomb is of the human condition. There's no fear of God, he said in Romans 3. And Paul said in Romans chapter 7 that There is this body of death that is residing within the human spirit, like some kind of alien monster that's chained to our souls, that springs to life, that dwells within us, that we need saving from, from Jesus Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that those who are not being saved by God, that they experience life in the presence of other Christians as the stench of death. I don't know if you've ever smelled something that, have been, that has been dead for a long time. I have. We had some, some, uh, some rats in our attic a few years ago. Like two, two dead ones. Didn't know where it was coming from. Had to call an exterminator. It was smelling up the whole house. Just two, and I looked at it, these two small things in the attic, right? But they stood there for like several weeks. Couldn't stand the whole house. Couldn't find it. Finally found it. It's a stench of death. And I wonder how many of our souls reek of death in our unbelief. Paul said in Philippians, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of Satan and the passions of our flesh. You know, it shouldn't be this way, should it? Life should not be this way. I think most people, you can agree with what I've said so far. Even if you don't believe in God, you can say life should not be this way. The world should not be this way, right? I mean, we, we should just get together and change it. I mean, maybe I'll even believe God in some general way without the resurrection. I think God can just change things if he wants. But the tomb is powerful. And so I think that there, the reason why people don't come to Jesus Christ today isn't necessarily because they don't believe the evidence. It's not necessarily because they haven't had time to do it. Most people don't do a thorough investigation of the evidence for the resurrection. Most people listen to people's testimony, even the church, say, that's great. I'm glad that you, uh, you know, found what works for you. But I got to find what works for me. It's probably different. But the reality is, is that the reason why people don't come to a resurrected Jesus as Lord and Savior is because they recognize that they live in a tomb, but they don't necessarily want to turn to Jesus to resurrect them from that tomb. So what do they do? They, they want a resurrection from the tomb, not necessarily from Jesus, 
I mean, we see these people who were resurrected from the tomb in verse 52, right? Verse 53, it says that after Jesus had risen from the tomb, the tombs were opened. And coming out of the tombs, these people went to the holy city and appeared to many. I mean, that, that's, that's these Old Testament believers who had genuine faith and they were raised, raised from the dead. They were shown to many. But I think people today, many people, they want a resurrection, but they don't necessarily want a resurrection through Jesus Christ. And so what do they do? I, I, I think that there's, there's three reasons why people, they don't want, they, they don't, they miss the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They miss it. But they want a resurrection, but they miss the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And why? I mean, if you talk to people and you can actually convince them that they live in a tomb, the next step is to say, well, look for the resurrection power. Look for the resurrection person of Jesus Christ to save you, to forgive you, to give you life. But most people miss that. Why? I think there's three reasons today in our context. The first reason is I think people place their trust in false resurrections. They place their trust in false resurrections. I mean, we look at, people look around the world and say the world is terrible, it's full of tombs, it's horrible, it's not the way it should be. We need a resurrection. I mean, if you listen to Jordan Peterson, right? And, and he was asked point blank, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You know, it was during an Easter weekend. And they said, do you believe in the resurrected Jesus? And he said, you know, I think that what I take from that resurrection story is the resurrection of Jesus becomes a metaphor of our, all of our need for a personal resurrection. He said, you know, we can all recognize that we all have negative areas, bad areas, bad habits, things about ourselves that are just terrible, uh, that bring death to us psychological death, or whatever. But we really need a personal resurrection from that old self we used to be, to become a new self. Now, how that is, I'm not sure. But that was kind of his belief in the resurrection. And there's a lot of people that believe that today. They believe in a false resurrection. I mean, how much of the conversation on social justice warriors, how much of the conversation on critical race theory has to do with a commitment to a false resurrection. To say, you know what? People are not getting along. There's income disparity in our world. There's confusion about, you know, if a person's a, a man or a woman. You know, what? look at the environment, how it's going down. And so we got to do something. We got to do something to resurrect the environment, to resurrect the, the social structures, the, the legal structures in our world, so that there can be a kind of secular shalom in our world. And we'll do it. We'll will ourselves to that by changing our laws, by marching, by posting on social media, and by writing books and, and intimidating people. And maybe there's some injustice in the world that needs to be addressed. I'm not saying it doesn't. There are many people who place their faith in that as a false resurrection. There are many people today, I mean, they, they talk about digital assets in language of the kingdom. I don't know if you've noticed this. These phrases, they talk about Bitcoin, 
transubstantiation. They talk about how um, Bitcoin is salvation and Satoshi Nakamoto is our savior. They talk about how crypto is a release from the tyranny of institutional and governmental control over our lives. And the only way forward for, quote, self-sovereignty, end quote, is through this new digital world. It's, and for some people, uh, Mark Mobius, he was a famous, he's a famous investor. Uh, they asked him about crypto and he said, crypto is not an investment, it's a religion. And if you know anything about that conversation, you know that to be true for many people. It's a false resurrection. I know people, believers. I've talked to them, many people. And what floods through their social media feed or when I talk to them in conversations is not the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not talking about truth and lie. You know what the resurrection they play, are placing, essentially placing their faith in terms of how they're portraying themselves to the world? It's the wellness movement. Hey, you know what? I can be your coach. I can get your relationships right. Your finances right. I can get your health right. I can help you devise a plan to achieve your dreams. You know, we, we can resurrect you from that old terrible life to give you this new life. It's a false resurrection for many people. And so I think one of the reasons why people miss the resurrection of Jesus Christ is false narratives going through their mind of what truly provides resurrection. I think a second reason is they misunderstand what the resurrection life actually is supposed to look like. They misunderstand it. You know, um, I've heard testimonies by people and they, it goes something like this. I, I want to be a Christian, pastor, but I'm just not good enough. And, and I look at these other Christians, they, they just have all their lives together. Or, or I hear other people who are professing Christians, and they say this. They say, man, you know, I believe, but I just will never be like that other Christian over there. So... I don't, I don't even think I should be part of Christianity whatsoever. Or, and I think there's a real misunderstanding of how the resurrected life looks like in the life of a believer. You know, when you are looking at Matthew 27, and I, I think it's really significant, in verse 52, the bodies of the saints, who were these saints, many of them were Old Testament saints. Well, they were resurrected. So who were these people? I mean, if we have these misconceptions, these false narratives, these misunderstandings of what the resurrected life actually looks like, here's these guys in verse 52, these Old Testament saints who were resurrected. Who were they? What were their lives like before coming to God, during their time here on earth? We know what it's like. We have the Old Testament. We have Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, these people we talked about, they were outcasts. They were sinners. See, the resurrected life is not just for people who grew up in the church. It's for outcasts, it's for sinners. It's people who failed. 
Abel. He was a man who had a righteous faith in God. Genesis 4. And you know what? He got killed for that. See, the resurrected life for him, as he's brought back to life here, is that he did the right things, but it ended badly for him here on earth when Cain killed him. That was part of the resurrection testimony. What about Abraham? Abraham was old. 70, 80, 90, 100, when all that stuff was going down. You know, leaving to go to the land of Canaan, having Isaac, sacrificing, being willing to sacrifice Isaac, all of that. It was old. Sarah was old. See, the resurrected life really did not come to him and Sarah in a meaningful way till they were old. And the greatest things that they accomplished through God were when they were old. Noah, too, same thing. Jacob talks about him in Hebrews 11 as well. He was a liar and a thief. Moses, he murdered someone. He had a speech impediment, but he was resurrected. David talks about him in Hebrews 11 as well. He's an Old Testament saint, right? Man, young boy of no repute, gets plucked out of obscurity, conquers Goliath, becomes king. He's a murderer, became a murderer, an adulterer. And it says in 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles, that in an act of pride that was inspired by Satan, he chose to take a census out of his own pride of how many people he had, troops he had in, in Israel. 70,000 people died because of it. Think about that. You're a king. You got murder. You got adultery. in as you're a believer, then you do an action that leads to the death of 70,000 people. I mean, we look at those people and say, hey, you know, if you did something that caused those people, you, you're going straight to hell, man. I don't care what. 70,000 people die because of you. That's it. You just prove that you're an unbeliever. And yet we know David experienced the resurrection, and he's a believer. Jephthah, another guy from the Old Testament, Hebrews 11. Here's a guy who led Israel into battle to conquer the Ammonites, and he made a rash vow. And he said, okay, uh, thank you, Lord. Whatever comes in the door next, I'm going to sacrifice unto you. His daughter walks in the door. And several months later, he has to sacrifice and kill his own daughter, right? And yet he's mentioned in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. The point being what? When it says in verse 27, the saints were raised in the resurrection. Sometimes what we do is we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday and we say, it's great for him and it's great for these great Christians, but we forget that the saints of the Old Testament were raised. And who were these saints? They were filled with problems. They were filled with problems. Which leads us to our third and final point, which is not only do people have false resurrection narratives. Not only do they misunderstand what the resurrection life looks like, but thirdly, they don't understand what are the primary necessary evidences of the resurrection that shows that you belong to a resurrected Christ. What are the primary evidences of a resurrected Christ living inside of you. 
You might be here this morning, and um, you know, if you, we were to open up this pulpit to testimonies right now, like we did last night, you might come up here and you say, "I'm a believer." Okay, I in the end, I believe, but I've been living a life of a hopeless believer. I'm a believer. But there's something about my experience right now where I'm just, I'm just lacking hope. I'm a believer, but pastor, you have no idea the level of trial I am under, the anxiety that I face, the, and it's just, God seems so distant. Pastor, I'm a believer, but this idol has so much, this tomb has so much power in my life. It just drags me back down into the grave. I think many people will be able to relate to that. Not just at this church, but many churches. And, and I think we go through this process where we look at certain Christians and we say, man, you're living out of the power and the presence of the resurrected Jesus Christ. I'm not you. That's not where I'm at. You know, what is there for me? All right. And I think when I look at these Old Testament saints who were raised from the dead, it's a good reminder for us this morning what the resurrection life actually looks like. And I'll just mention three things. And as I mention these three things, I want you to ask yourself, do I see evidences of these three um, signs that a resurrected Jesus lives inside of me today. Number one, the resurrection life of Jesus Christ actually looks this way. There's a sense of progressive sanctification towards Jesus. It goes up, goes a little down, goes up a little bit down, goes up a little bit down. It's not just straight up and to the right. It kind of goes, maybe it goes in a circle, you know, a little bit. But over time, over time, maybe it goes backwards, right, sometimes. But over time, as you look, who was I last year? Who was I the year before? Who was I five years ago? Do I sense a general progression towards what Paul called in Philippians 3, I strain for the goal of the upward prize of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see that in your life? These guys, look at how they went. They went like this, and then they went in a circle, and then they went back. But over the course of time, they were moving towards the goal of the upward prize of God through ultimately Jesus Christ. And do you see that progressive general movement in your life? Are you committed to that? Are we committed that to escape the tombs in our lives? That we have resolved that a resurrected Jesus is ultimately the one that provides the escape. And if you see that, that's a sign that the resurrected Jesus Christ moves in you. There is no resurrected Jesus Christ living in us if there is no movement, general movement towards Christ. Secondly, 
these Old Testament saints in verse 52, one of the things that marked the fact that they were saints is they didn't leave the community of God. You know, they had their moments of failure, but David, he stayed in Jerusalem. Moses, he stayed with the Israelites in the wilderness. These guys stayed. They didn't fail. And one of the signs that you can know that Jesus Christ lives inside of you is that you, have, you may have your moments where, you know, I just, I just can't deal with it. I, I got to just be away for a little bit. But ultimately, you won't leave. Why? Because if a resurrected Jesus Christ truly lives inside of you, you will ultimately be drawn to who? Other believers who have a resurrected Jesus Christ living in them. That is the work that Paul talked about in Philippians 2, where he said that God is at work in you, but work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And he said, be one with one another. Be unified with the body of Christ. Make my joy complete, Philippians 2. And so if you are truly experiencing the resurrection of Jesus Christ, ultimately, there's going to be something that just drives you inside to say, you know what? I need to be around God's people because there I will hear the words of life. There I will help find other people that through the power of Christ will help bear my sinful burdens. They will instruct me. They will build me up. They will encourage me. They will celebrate the things that I, in, in my life that we're celebrating and mourn with me in the areas that I need mourning. You will not become a lone ranger Christian in the end. And so you want to ask yourself, secondly, do I see that evidence of resurrected, a resurrected Jesus? Because you know what? If you don't have Jesus inside of you, church, long term, is a very unlife-giving place to be. If you don't have a resurrected Jesus inside of you, you know what the church becomes? It becomes the stench of death to you over time. Why? Because if, 2 Corinthians 2, if you're not being saved by the Lord, Christians and hanging out with them ultimately will start to smell like spiritual death to you. But if you're being saved, Paul says, in 2 Corinthians 2, through the resurrected Jesus, Christians will become what? The fragrance of life because Jesus is there and Jesus will become that to you. And thirdly for today, how can you tell that a resurrected Jesus lives inside of you? Not just working out your salvation, not just being one with the body of Christ, but ultimately in your life, you will not let go of your belief that you need the forgiveness specifically of Jesus Christ to escape God's judgment and his wrath, and his banishment in hell. You will not let go of that. You will hold on to your allegiance to your Lord and Savior and say, he is the way of salvation to heaven. He is the one who rose from the grave. He is the one who conquered death. And so I say that as a Christian, and I say it unashamedly. And if push comes to shove, that is who my allegiance is for, for my salvation. You might dibble and dabble, you know, in your fallen moments in some of these areas, these false resurrections and times, but in the end, you will always come back to saying, 
You know what? That was, that was foolishness. I was a sucker. Satan used me as a sucker for that stuff. Now, what my life is about is the one who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. My life is about the one who said, if you believe in me, you will live even though you die. Do you believe this? Do you? I do. And if you're here this morning and you believe that, you might be here and your faith might be in shambles. But the Lord and a resurrected Jesus, he wants you to know this morning that if you are open to him, he will be at work in you to bring you to himself. He will not cast you away. He wants you to know this morning that this community of faith, this resurrected community of faith, that it wasn't just Jesus who rose from the dead, but we have been risen as well. That you, your community with us will bring you life. Because there's a lot of tombs out there that are stealing it from you. And he wants you to know finally this morning, it's all going to pass away. You, me, all of it. It's going to go by like that, like a vapor. We're here, we're gone. All of your dreams, you know. Enjoy your life, Ecclesiastes says. But it's going to end at a time that's not going to be your choosing, unfortunately. Eternity is a far greater thing to live for than what this world offers to us. And if you want your life to change, both now and in eternity, then we're going to place our trust in the one who is alive and who rose from the dead. Do you believe that? I do. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, as we are here as your followers, we say Jesus has risen And he has risen indeed. He has risen in our hearts. He didn't just rise from the dead to leave us in the tomb. But Lord, we are filled in our minds and we are surrounded in a world that wants to conform us to all narratives of false resurrections that wants to pull us back into the tomb in which we escaped through Jesus. And Lord, may the resurrection power and person of Jesus Christ be upon everyone here, assuring us of the eternal salvation that we have. And may we walk and live not in continual defeat, Lord, but your desire is for us to live in victory. The tomb may still grab at us at times, but Lord, it does no longer has power over us. And so, Lord, I pray that wherever wherever we're at, Jesus, that you would help us to be victors. You would help us to overcome. You would give us the grace, Lord, to know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, the life of Christ in our lives. And I pray that for everyone here, Lord. Thank you, God, for rising from the dead to give us this new life. In Jesus' name, amen.